Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you the third in our series of full-hour dramatizations of modern American and British fiction. Presenting Sinclair Lewis's novel, Main Street, another in our series of radio plays based on outstanding works of Anglo-American fiction. Our stars as Carol Kennicott, Vanessa Brown, Dr. Will Kennicott, Leon Ames. As the first American to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, Sinclair Lewis is the realist, the photographer whose lens presented America to Americans with a sharpness that made them angry, amused, self-critical, and ashamed, made them accept his hatreds and his love. This is America. This is Gopher Prairie, a town of a few thousand in a region of wheat and corn, dairies and little groves. But its main street is the continuation of main streets everywhere. Though Minnesota-born, Carol Milford was not an intimate of prairie villages. Most of her early life in Mankato had been spent among the books in her father's brown library. After her parents' death, there followed the years at Blodgett College, years filled with energy and ambitious dreams, if not accomplishment. Then a period of library work in St. Paul. But the year 1912 found her traveling on a stagnant, stiff-seated coach to Gopher Prairie, Minnesota. As she rode, she reflected on the incidents leading to this decisive step as one turns the pages of a familiar photograph album. The first scene was a buffet supper at the Marbury's house in St. Paul. Harold, come over here and meet Doc Kennicott. Dr. Will Kennicott of Gopher Prairie. He does all our insurance examining up in that neck of the woods, and they do say he's some doctor. How do you do? Well, I'm pleased to meet you. Here, let me get a chair for you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Marbury tells me you're a high mogul in the public library. Oh, oh well, no. I was surprised. I didn't hardly think you were old enough. I thought you were still in college, maybe. Oh, I'm dreadfully old. Oh, probably too old to be my granddaughter, I guess. <laughs> uh, how do you like your work? It's very pleasant. Don't you get sick of the city? St. Paul? Why, don't you like it? Oh, well. Oh, I don't know of any lovelier view than when you, you stand on Summit Avenue and you look across Lower Town to the Mississippi and to the uplands beyond. I know, but... Well, you don't get to know folks the way you do up home. Now, I feel I've got something to say about running Gopher Prairie. But you take it in a big city of two, three hundred thousand, well, I'm just one flea on a dog's back. Do you know Gopher Prairie at all? No. 
But I hear it's a very nice town. Nice? Say, honestly, of course, I may be prejudiced, but I've seen a lot of towns. One time I went to Atlantic City for the AMA meeting, and I spent practically a week in New York. But I never saw a town that had such get-up-and-go people as Gopher Prairie. Is, uh, do you like your profession? Oh, there's nothing like it. It keeps you out. And yet you have a chance to loaf in the office for a change. I don't mean it that way. It seems to me that a doctor could transform a whole community if he wanted to. Hmm? If he saw it, he's usually the only man in the community with any scientific training, isn't he? Yes, that's so. But I guess most of us get rusty. Now, what we need is women like you to jump on us. It'd be you that would transform the town. Oh, no. I haven't... You're just the one. You have ideas without having lost uh, feminine charm. Say, don't you think there's a lot of these women that go out for all these movements and so on that sacrifice the... Uh, uh, well, uh, uh... Yes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, say, i, I got to catch number 24 back home. <laughs> Better be standing on it. Well, it's, it's been a great pleasure to meet you, Miss Milford. I'm happy to have met you, Dr. Kennecott. Uh, may I see you sometime when I come down again? Why, yes, if you really want to. Want to? Say, you wait. Of the lovemaking of Carol and Will Kennicott, there's nothing to be told which may not be heard on every summer evening, on every shadowy block. And then, on a windswept September day, after a year of conversational courtship, Honestly, Will, I just don't know. Come on. Come to Gopher Prairie, Carol. Show us. Make the town... Well, make it artistic. It's mighty pretty, but I'll admit we aren't too darned artistic. Make us change. I'd like to someday, Will. Well, do it now. You'd love Gopher Prairie. Best people on earth. And keen. Of course, none of them have your finesse, you might call it, but they're all keen. Come on. We're ready for you to boss us. But, 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 Will... Oh, you know I'm in love with you, Carol. You say I'm so darn materialistic. Well, how can I help it unless I have you to stir me up? Now, you say a doctor could cure a town the way he does a person. Well, you cure the town and I'll be your surgical kit. Oh, there's no use saying things and saying things. Don't my arms talk to you now? Oh, Please, Will. Carol, come to Gopher Prairie. We want you there. Oh, it would be sweet to help. So very sweet. After a wedding trip in the Colorado mountains, they were on their way home. And the towns they passed were as planless as a scattering of pasteboard boxes on an attic floor. Oh, Will, isn't there any way of waking them up? Just hmm? look at these towns. Why, what's the matter with these towns? They're good hustling birds. It would astonish you to know how much wheat and rye and corn and potatoes they ship in a year. But they're so ugly. Well, give them time. What's the use of giving them time unless somebody has the desire and the training enough to plan them? Hundreds of factories are trying to make attractive motor cars, but these towns are left to chance. No, that can't be true. It must have taken genius to make them so scrawny. <laughs> you know, I, I must say, I don't quite get you sometimes, Carrie. 
Oh, I guess you're kind of played out after this long trip. You'll feel better when you get home and have a good bath and put on that blue negligee. You know, that's some vampire costume. Well, we're home, Carrie. Look. Look. There's a bunch come down to, go, to welcome us. They see us. They're waving. Wave back to them, Carrie. Oh, well. <laughs> come on now. Come on. Let's get off. <laughs> this, this is the missus. Terry Sam Clark, you old reprobate. And Mr. and Mrs. Dave Dyer, the Haydocks, and the elders. <laughs> well, you got us all straight now? Oh, of course she has. You trust Carrie to get things straight and get them darn quick. I bet she could tell you every date in history. As a matter of fact, I haven't got anybody straight. <laughs> of course you haven't, child. Well, I'm Sam Clark, dealer in hardware and almost any kind of heavy junk you can think of. You call me Sam. I'm going to call you Carrie, since you've gone and married this poor fish of a bum medic that we keep around here. <laughs> uh, this hungry-looking squirt is Dave Dyer, who keeps his drugstore running by not filling your hubby's prescriptions right. In fact, you might say he's the guy that put the shun in prescriptions. Oh, <laughs> Sam and then there's uh, Harry and Juanita Haydock, own the uh, Bonton store. Try to fleece the tongue with a fancy French handle for their emporium. <laughs> ah, no, never mind, never mind, you old cheap uh, Me and the missus has thrown a little get-together for you folks tonight. Oh, that's so nice of you. Say, keen, Sam. And I uh, brought my machine down to take you home. Say, Doc, you better be thinking about building a new house for Carrie. Prettiest prow in GP, if you ask me. <laughs> Terry, Terry, I... I'm right here, Will. Oh, oh, I didn't see you, honey. I'm sorry I had to go to the office our first day home, but I thought I'd better. I, I understand, dear. Did you find your way around the house all right? Yes. Well, what else have you been doing today? Well, let, let's see. I walked the length of Main Street and back. I saw the Minimasi Hotel. Mm -hmm. Dave Dyer's drugstore. The Rosebud Movie Palace, Howland and Gould's Grocery, Bonton Store. Harry Haydock owns that. Yes, dear, you told me. Uh, you've gotten around all right. I, well, I don't expect you to think Gopher Prairie is a paradise after St. Paul, but you, you've come to like it so much. Life's so free here and best people on earth. Do you know how much I want to like the people you like? Well, now, don't forget to see people as other folks see them. We have the stuff here in Gopher Prairie. Did you know that Percy Bresnahan came from here? Percy Bresnahan? Yes, you know, president of the Velvet Motor Company of Boston, Massachusetts. Makes the Velvet 12, biggest automobile factory in New England. And he comes back here for bass fishing almost every summer. Say, we better eat. It'll be time to get over to Sam's place soon. Maud Dyer, remember? Was at the station. Yes, of course. It's so nice to see you again. Do you like Gopher Prairie, Mrs. Kennicott? Oh, I'm sure I'm going to be ever so happy. There are so many nice people. Oh, you bet. Fine class of people. I uh, don't like some of these retired German farmers who come here to spend their last days. But the rest are a fine class of people. Did you know Percy Bresnahan came from here? So I heard. Oh, he's a prince. He and I went fishing together last time he was here. 
You remember me, Mrs. Kennicott. Juanita Haydock. Oh, yes. I'm glad to see you. So nice to have you here. We'll have some good parties, dances, and everything. You'll have to join the Jolly 17. We play bridge every week and have a supper once a month. Uh, you play, of course. No, I don't. Really? In St. Paul? I've always been such a bookworm. We'll have to teach you what we have. Oh, you bet. <laughs> bridge is half the fun of life. Uh, how do you think you I like the old burg, huh? I'm sure I like it tremendously. Uh, best people on earth. Great hustlers, too. Of course, I've had lots of chances to go live in Minneapolis, but uh, we like it here. Real heat town. Hey, did you know that Percy Bresnahan came from here? <laughs> what do you think of profit-sharing, Mr. Elder? Profit-sharing? Poppycock. Enfeebles a workman's independence and wastes a lot of honest profit. And it's my bounden duty as a producer to resist every attack on the integrity of American industry to the last ditch. Yes, sir. Why, say, did you know that Percy Bresnahan... Did you like them, honey? They were terribly sweet to me. They thought you were great, too. Only, uh... Yes? Well, I'd be a little more careful about shocking folks, Jerry. I mean, well, a lot of people here don't have the, well, progressive ideas you have, and I wouldn't give them a chance to criticize me. Do you care if they think my ideas are a little strange, Will? Me? Why? I wouldn't care if the whole world thought you were this or that or anything else. You're my... Well, you're my soul. When the first dubious November snow had filtered down, when the first fire had been started in the furnace, which is the shrine of a Gopher Prairie home... Carol began to make the house her own. She redecorated only the living room. But everyone in town took an interest in the refurnishing, particularly Mrs. Bogart, who lived across the alley. Mrs. Bogart was a widow, a prominent churchwoman, and a good influence. wanted to call on you for so long, dearie. You know, we're neighbors. But I thought I'd wait till you got settled. You must run in and see me. How much did that big chair cost? $77. Seven? Thanks alive. Oh, well, I suppose all right for them that can afford it. Of course, as our pastor said once at the Baptist church. By the way, what church were you raised, Mr. Kennicott? Why, I went to Congregational as a girl in Mankato. But my college was Universalist. Yes. You were saying, Mrs. Bogart? Oh, yes, our church. We haven't seen you there yet, you know. Well, we've been so awfully... Oh, your husband was raised up a Baptist, and I do hope he won't drift away from the phone. No, of course not. He wouldn't. Well, we all know there isn't anything, not cleverness or gifts of gold or anything that could make up for humility and the inward grace. Do you agree? Well, I... Uh... The trouble with the world today is lack of spiritual faith. People thinking they've got to waste money, have bathtubs and telephones in their houses. I heard you were selling the old furniture tea. Yes. Well, of course you know your own mind. Uh, 
But I can't help thinking that... Uh, yes, Mrs. Bogart. Uh, I can't help thinking when Will's ma was down here, it was good enough furniture for her. Mr. Kennicott has told me all about her. She used to run in to see me real often. I just wanted you to know that, well, when you find you can't depend on a lot of these gadding young folks like the Haydocks and the Dyers, you may be glad to know that slow old Auntie Bogart is always right there. I will remember, Mrs. Bogart. Oh, and we could have a nice visit with none of the terrible gossiping these younger women like to do. <laughs> Jolly 17, the membership of which ranged from 14 to 26, was the social cornice of Gopher Prairie. It was the country club, the diplomatic set, the St. Cecilia, the Ritz Oval Room, the Club Divan. To belong to it was to be in. This particular meeting was being held in the new concrete bungalow of Juanita Haydar. You're a naughty one, Mrs. Kennicott. Not learning to play bridge yet in all this time. You know, I don't believe you appreciate the honor when you got into the jolly 17 so easy. You're perfectly right. I'll make Will start teaching me this evening. Now, you see that you do. By the way, don't you think we ought to get up another bobsled party soon? Oh, I just like my bridge in the winter. I'm afraid we're quite different from your St. Paul group, dear. Oh, oh, I didn't mean... Uh, um... <laughs> You know, I drove to Joaquin with Will a few days ago. Isn't the country lovely? Yeah. And I admire the Scandinavian farmers down there, so they're big red barns and silos. Uh, oh, do you think so? Jack Elder says the Svenskas that work in the planing mill are perfectly terrible. So silent and cranky. Yes, and they're simply ghastly hired girls. I swear I work myself to skin and bone trying to please my hired girls when I get them. They can have their gentleman friends call on them in the kitchen, and they can eat the same as we do if there's anything left. Well, they're ungrateful. All that class. Isn't it uh, possibly the fault of the mistresses if the maids are ungrateful? Well, for generations, we've given them the leavings of food and holes to live in. How much do maids get here? Well, anywhere from three fifty to five fifty a week. How much do you pay, Mrs. Kennicott? Why, um, I pay six. Don't you think it's hard on the rest of us when you pay so much? I don't care. A maid has one of the hardest jobs on earth. She works from 10 to 18 hours a day just to wash slimy dishes and dirty clothes. She tends the children. She runs to the door with wet, chapped hands. Well, really, Mrs. Kennicott, it's just plain to see you don't think like us in Gopher Prairie. Uh, Shall we start another rubber, Juanita? Pass the butter, Carrie. Well, I wonder if the people here don't criticize me sometimes. Criticize you? <laughs> Lord, I should say not. They all keep saying you're the swellest girl they ever saw. Well, I I often disagree with the ladies at the Jolly 17. The merchants probably think I'm too fussy about shopping. Oh, I didn't want to speak of it, but since you brought it up, <laughs> Chet Dashaway probably resents the fact that you got this new furniture down in the city instead of here. Well, if Mr. Dashaway will kindly tell me how any civilized person could furnish a room out of the mortuary pieces that he calls... Oh, 
understand. And uh, Howland and Lundelmeyer, the, oh, you've probably handed them a few roasts for the bum stock they carry when you just meant to jolly them, but... Uh, oh, rats. What do we care? This is an independent town, not like those eastern holes where you have to watch your step all the time and live up to the fool demands and social customs and a lot of old tabbies always busy criticizing. Everybody's free here to do what he wants. But, uh, well, Will, maybe you could help me to... Well, if, if you'd only tell me a little more about your cases... I want to know. I want to understand. Sure, you bet. For instance, what did you do today? Do today? Uh, how do you mean? Medically. I, I want to understand. Today? Oh, there wasn't much of anything. A couple of kids with belly aches and a sprained wrist and a, a fool woman that thinks she wants to kill herself because her husband doesn't like her. And Oh, just, just routine work. But the unhappy woman doesn't sound routine. Oh, that's just a case of nerves. You can't do much with these marriage mix-ups. Dear, please, will you tell me about the next case that you do think is interesting? Sure, you bet. I'll tell you anything that... Say, that's pretty good salmon. Did you get it at Holland's? Carol had often been invited to the meetings of the Thanatopsis, the women's study club, but had never attended. Then one day in early March, Mrs. Luke Dawson, wife of the richest man in town, fluttered piteously into Carol's living room. Oh, Mrs. Kennedy, I'm in such a fix. I'm supposed to lead the discussion of the Thanatopsis club tomorrow, and, well, I'm frightened to death. I wonder if you'd come and help. What's the subject? Uh, English poetry. Really? Poetry? Yes. I'd love to come. What poet are you taking up tomorrow? Uh, why, the English ones. Not all of them. Well, well, yes. Yes, we're learning all of European literature this year. The club gets such a nice magazine, Culture Hints, and uh, we follow its program. I see. My, it does make a body hustle to keep up, but it's so improving. Oh, then you will come, won't you? <laughs> and died in 1616. He lived in London, England, and Stratford-on-Avon, which many American tourists love to visit. Many people believe that Shakespeare was the greatest playwright who ever lived, also a fine poet. Not much is known about his life. Robert Burns was quite a poor boy, and he did not enjoy the advantages we enjoy today. And uh, though the lords and earls may have looked down upon him, his pieces about the mouse and other rustic subjects have given joy to many. I am so sorry I have not the time to quote some of them. A year slipped by with the swiftness of monotony. One November evening, Guy Pollock, the lawyer, stopped by. Carol was glad that Kennicott was out because Pollock was the only person in Gopher Prairie who could understand her feeling of the town. Tell me, Guy, what's the matter with Gopher Prairie? Is anything the matter with it? 
Isn't there perhaps something the matter with you and me? No, I think it's the town and so do you. But why do you stay here? You have no family. You're not married. I have the village virus. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. It is. The village virus is the germ which infects ambitious people who stay too long in the provinces. Guy, can't we do something with the town? Really? No, we can't. I feel that every positive thing I've tried. I suppose I should settle down, as they call it, develop my capacity for dullness and be satisfied to be nothing. Don't be cynical. Oh, I, I know I'm a fool. I dream of Venice, and I, I live in Archangel, and I scold because the northern seas aren't tender-colored. But at least they shan't keep me from loving Venice. And someday I'll... I'll... I suppose I never will. That night, Carol and Kennicott had their first real argument. It started calmly with a discussion of the family budget, but within ten minutes... Heavens knows I want to be fair, but I expect others to be fair, too. And you're so high and mighty about people. What? Now, you take Sam Clark. That's the best soul that ever lived. Honest and loyal and a darn good fellow. Well, you've got him so leery, he scarcely dares to come here. How do I frighten him if I do? Well, you do, all right. Instead of putting his legs up on another chair and unbuttoning his vest and telling a good story or maybe kidding me about something, he sits on the edge of his chair and tries to make conversation about politics. And he doesn't even cuss. And Sam's never really comfortable unless he can cuss a little. In other words, he isn't comfortable unless he can behave like a peasant in a mud oh, hut. Now, Terry, that's just about enough of that. Either you want to dance or you want to bang the piano or, or else you get moody as the devil and don't want to talk or anything. If you must be temperamental, why can't you be that way by yourself? My dear man, there's nothing I'd like better than to be by myself occasionally. Oh. To have a room of my own. I suppose you expect me to sit here and, and dream delicately. You wander in from the bathroom with lather all over your face and you shout, Clean my brown pants! Oh, well, you'll have plenty of privacy when we build a new house. When? Oh, I'll build it all right, don't you forget. Though I'm probably a fool to think about it. By the time I get it built, you'll probably have succeeded in your plan to get me completely in touch with every friend and every patient I've got. Thank you very much for revealing your real opinion of me. If that's the way you feel, if I'm such a hindrance to you, I can't stay under this roof another minute. And I'm perfectly able to earn my own living. You can get a divorce at your pleasure. Oh, now, please stop flying off at tangents, Terry. Tangents. This, this tangents. is not a theater play. It's a serious effort to have us get together oh. on fundamentals. Oh. Now, we've both been cranky and said a lot of things we don't mean. Now, let's yes. cut out jabbing at each oh. other. You know you feel superior to folks, Carrie. So? You're not as bad as I say, but you're not as good as you say. No, not by a long oh. shot. Now, why can't you take folks as they are? Now, take Jack Elder. You take him. Say, do you know he's nutty about music? Mm -hmm. Why, he'll put on mm -hmm. a grand opera record and sit and listen and close his eyes. Mm -hmm. Or now you take Lem Cass. Or you take Mark Mahoney, the garage man. Oh. He's got a lot of Perry Prince of famous pictures in his office. Yeah. Now, you'll find these churches in all small towns and a pile of savvy in every single one of them if you'll just dig for it. I know. And, and I do love them. Especially people like Champ Perry. But I can't be very enthusiastic over smug ones like Jack Elder. Well, then I'm smug, too, whatever that no. is. No. You're a scientist. Oh, 
I will try to get the music out of Mr. Elder. I will try. Is it all right now? Mm, Sure. But there's one other thing. You might give me some attention, too. That's not fair. You have everything I am. No, I haven't, Carrie. You think you respect me. You always hand out some spiel about my being so useful. But you never think of me as having ambitions just as much as you have. Perhaps not. I think of you as being perfectly satisfied. Well, I'm not. By a long shot, I'm not. I don't want to be a plug practitioner all my life. I want to put enough money away so that you and I can be independent someday and not have to work unless I feel like it. You never worry about what might happen if we get sick and didn't have a good fat wad salted away, do you? I suppose I don't. (laughs) Well, then I have to do it for you. I want to have a squint at the world as much as you do. Only I'm practical about it. First place, I'm going to make the money. I'm investing in good, sound farmlands. Do you understand why now? Yes. Then will you try and see if you can't think of me as something more than just a dollar-chasing roughneck? Oh, my dear, I haven't been just. I'm difficult. And from now on, I love Sam Clark. I promise I will. That December, Carol was in love with her husband. Then for three years, which passed like one curt paragraph, she ceased to find anything interesting save the birth of her son. He became her reason for living. Slowly growing within her was a longing to find her own people. And then, Carol met Eric Valbor. You're listening to the NBC University Theater, starring Vanessa Brown and Leon Ames in a one-hour dramatization of the Sinclair Lewis novel, Main Street. We will resume the story following a pause for station identification. This is CHRE 105.7 FM. I can see you. I really can. You're drunk and driving a car. And you probably don't even know that your radio's on. No, stop. Don't turn me off. Listen, I think the first thing you should do is pull over. Okay, let's talk about it. Three things just didn't happen to you. You're not under arrest. You haven't lost your driver's license. And thirdly, you haven't killed anyone. Now get out and walk. Call a cab. And thank God you did. This message was brought to you in the public interest by CHRE, in association with Canada's private radio broadcasters. at a supper of the Jolly Seventeen that Carol first heard of Eric Valborg from Mrs. Dave Dyer. <laughs> Have you folks heard about this young fellow that's come to town? This um, Eric Valborg? Oh. Well, you know, he's working in that Hicks tailor shop. I bet he doesn't make 18 a week. But my, 
Why, isn't he the perfect gentleman, though? Oh, he talks so refined, and oh, the lugs he puts on. And nothing but the son of a Swede farmer. Well, now, honest, you won't believe this, but I got it straight. This fellow, you know, he's staying at Mrs. Gurry's punk old boarding house, and they say he asked Mrs. Gurry if he ought to put on a dress suit for supper. Oh, no! <laughs> they, <laughs> they say he tries to make people think he's a poet, carries books around and pretends to read them. Well, Myrtle Cass says that she met him at a dance, and he was mooning around all over the place. He said he didn't find any intellectual companionship in this town. Now, imagine. Oh. <laughs> you know, he told Miss Gurry he'd like to design clothes for oh, women. No. Yes. Can you beat it? Where did you say he works? Hicks? Can I get these pants pressed? When do you want them? Monday. All right. What name? Kennicott. Kennicott. Oh, Kennicott. Well, you, you must be Dr. Kennicott's wife. Yes. Oh, I've heard about you. Myrtle Cass was saying you got up a dramatic club last year, gave a dandy play. Now, I've uh, always wished I had a chance to belong to a little theater. It wasn't a dandy play. It was a miserable failure. Well, but uh, you suppose it could be possible to get up another dramatic club this coming fall? It's pretty hopeless. But I suppose we could try. Have you had any experience? <laughs> Just a bum club that some of us got up in Minneapolis when I was working there. Uh, look, if, uh, well, if you didn't want to use me as an actor, I'd love to design the costumes. You see, someday, well, someday I hope I can get away from this fool tailoring when I have the money saved up. I want to go east and study art drawing, become a high-class dress designer. Or do you think that's a fiddling ambition for a fellow? Now, I was brought up on a farm. A lot of people kid me about What do you care by the opinions of casual strangers. Oh, oh, I don't really, but I asked you because, well, you're not actually a stranger. Oh? oh Myrtle Cass has spoken about you so often I wanted to call on you and the doctor, but I didn't quite have the nerve. So we see if we really could get up a new dramatic club. I'll tell you. Come to my house this evening about eight. We'll talk it over. <laughs> plans for a dramatic club bore no fruit, but the friendship between Carol and Eric Valborg ripened daily. For the first time in years, she felt she was really talking. Eric often managed to find Carol on one of her long walks. Look here, shall I get out of this tailoring, this pressing and repairing? I don't see why a surgeon should spend much time cobbling shoes. No, but, but, but what if I find I can't really draw and design? <laughs> I feel like a fool. What if you do have to go back? Most of us do. We can't all be artists. You'll have had the adventure, Eric. Don't be too meek toward life. Try everything. You're still a blessed innocent. Go and play till the good people capture you. But I don't just want to play. I want to make something beautiful. Do you understand? Nobody else ever has. Do you? Yes. Oh, I don't want to deny the prairie future. It'll be magnificent. But equally, I'm hanged if I want to be bullied by it. Go to war on behalf of Main Street. Never do anything original or gay-colored that would help to make the future. Go, Eric. Go before it's too late. It has been for some of us. Why aren't you happy with your husband? You... Well, he doesn't care for the blessed, innocent part of you, oh, does he? Eric, you mustn't. I must... 
Well, first you tell me to go and be free, and then you say I mustn't. I meant you. You, you mustn't. You must be more impersonal. Well, I'm darned if I will. Oh, we'd better start back now. You're younger than I am. I'm at least... You're, you're younger than I am. Your lips are for songs about rivers in the morning, lakes of twilight. Oh, I don't see how anybody could ever hurt you. Yes, we'd we'd better go. All right, I'll do it. I'll stay here one year. I'll save, not spend anything on clothes, and then I'll go east to art school. I'll work on the side. I'll learn what I'm good for, designing clothes or stage settings, illustrating or (laughs) selling collars to fat men. Can you stand it here in town for a whole year? (laughs) Oh, with you to look at? Please. Would you have some coffee, Mrs. Bogart? Oh, no, thank you, dearie. I can't stay long. Oh, my boy, Sly says you had lots of fun at the picnic yesterday. Did you enjoy it? Oh, yes. I raced Sly at swimming. He beat me badly. Hmm, too bad the doctor had a case and couldn't go. He does work so hard. Um, this Eric Wahlberg was along, wasn't he? Yes. Oh, I think he's an awful handsome fellow. They say he's smart. Do you like him? He seems very polite. Well, Sai says you and him had a lovely boat ride. My, that must have been pleasant. Yes, except I couldn't get Mr. Valbert to say a word. Oh? I wanted to ask him about the suit Mr. Hicks is making for my husband, mm-hmm. but he insisted on singing. Oh. Well, still, it was restful. You're so happy and innocent. Don't you think it's a shame, Mrs. Bogart, that people in this town don't do more nice, clean things like that? Instead of all this horrible gossiping. Few of the aristocrats of the Jolly Seventeen attended the humble folk beats of the Baptist and Methodist church suppers. But all the smart set went to the lawn festivals of the Episcopal Church. Through the light of the Japanese lanterns, Carol saw that Eric was walking toward her. Though he was merely ambling about with his hands in his pockets, she knew that he was calling her. When he reached her, she nodded coolly, proud of her coolness. Carol, Carol, I've got a wonderful chance. I don't know, but it might be better than going east to take art. What is it? Myrtle Cass says her father is hunting for a fellow to go work in the flour mill, learn the whole business, maybe become general manager. What do you think? Wait. That's up to you. Do you want to become a person like Lyman Cass? Or do you want to become a person like... Yes, like me? Well, I am a person like you. I mean, uh, I want to rebel. Yes, we're alike. Only, well, I'm not sure I can put through my schemes. I, I really can't draw much. But look, as a miller, I'd have the means of books, music, and I'm going to be frank. Frank and beastly. Don't you realize that it isn't just because her papa needs a bright young man in the mill that Myrtle is amiable to you? Yes. Can't you understand what she'll do to you when she has you? I don't know. I suppose so. You're thoroughly unstable. But I know what I want. I want you. Don't say that, Eric. I do. I'm not a schoolboy anymore. I want you. If I take Myrtle, it's to forget you. Please. Look, it's you that are unstable. You talk and play at things, but you're scared. Would I mind it if you and I went off to poverty and I had to dig ditches? I would not. But you would. I think you would come to like me, but 
You won't admit it. But are you fair? Are you? No, no, I suppose not. Do you like me? Do you? Yes, no. No, please, I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah, not here, Mrs. Hedon. No, 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 nor anywhere. Oh, Eric, I'm fond of you. But I'm afraid. Of what? Of them, of my rulers. Go for prairie. Oh, my dear boy, we're talking very foolishly. I'm a normal wife and a good mother, and you are, oh, a college freshman. Oh, you do like me. Oh, Carol, I could make you love me. Did you open the window, Will? Mm-hmm. You, uh, you and this uh, Valborg fellow seem quite chummy tonight. Oh, we are. He's interested in Myrtle Carson. I was telling him how nice she is. Mm. Will, I really wish I could trot off to St. Paul or Chicago or someplace. Oh, I thought we'd settled all that a few nights ago. Wait till we can take a real trip. Oh, all right. Good night. You might give me a good night kiss. Oh. Don't you like the old man anymore? Of course, I like you very much. I'm sorry you're so tired. Seems like... But of course, you aren't very strong. saw your husband driving out of town. Look, I've, I've got to talk to you. Come for a walk. I... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. People might see us, but they won't if we hike into the country. Look, I'll wait for you by the grain elevator. Take as long as you want. Oh, come quickly. In a few minutes. FM 105.7, this is CHRE. I can see you. Yeah, I really can. You're drunk and driving a car. And you probably don't even know that your radio's on. No, stop. Don't turn me off. Listen, I think the first thing you should do is pull over. Let's talk. Three things just didn't happen to you. You're not under arrest. You're not in an ambulance after the accident. And thirdly, you haven't killed anyone. Now, get out and walk. Call a cab. And thank God you did. Here's a sobering thought. If you're a drinking driver, the law of averages and the laws of this province are all working against you. That's why CHRE has brought you this message in association with Canada's private radio broadcasters. While there's still time. Oh, please, don't, don't. Don't pull your hand away, Carol. <laughs> I love you, Carol. Don't you? I'm fond of you, Eric. And it, it isn't just a talky fondness. Only you and my son need me. I've wanted so to be wanted. 
Carol. You do love me. No, I don't. Can't you understand? Everything crushes in on me so. All the gaping, dull people. Please be my friend. But don't let's hurt each other. But I can't just be your friend. We would hurt each other. I... I wanted to tell you if that was your answer. I'm going away. Eric. I know I can't make anything but trouble for you here. Where will you go? Chicago. Oh, I'll find some sort of job. Anything will be, be better than this. You're, you're right. I'm glad you're going, Eric. We're... Who's this? Hello there. Well. Oh. Hello. Having a walk? Uh-huh. Yes. Pretty wet, isn't it? You better ride back. Jump up in front, Bellboard. You better take your coat off. It looks kind of wet. Yes. All right. Here, I'll hang it up. Thank you. I'll let it hang there till it dries. Well, Kelly, you'd better cut it out now. Well? Now, I'm not going to do the outraged husband stunt. I like you and I respect you and I, I'd probably look like a boob if I tried to be dramatic. But I think it's about time for you and Valbord to call a halt before you get in Dutch. Do you? Of course I know all about it. What do you expect in a town as full of busybodies as this is? If you would just... Of course, I know you like him. But don't you realize that if Ma Westlake or Mrs. Bogard or a few others got started, they'd drive you up a tree and you'd find yourself so well advertised as being in love with this Valborg that you'd have to be just to spite You make your side clear. Now, let me give you mine. Is it only you and the baby that want me to back you up? No. They're all on me, the whole town, and you welcome them. You encourage them to drag me down into their caves. Eric was only a dear friend, but those vicious... Carrie, I... Won't I won't stand it, you hear? Now. Right now, I'm done. I don't belong to Gopher Prairie, and I'm going. I'm not asking permission. I'm simply going. Uh, do you mind telling me if it isn't too much trouble how long you're going for? I don't know. Perhaps for a lifetime. <laughs> I see. Well, of course, I'd be tickled to death to sell out my practice and go anywhere you say. Would you like to have me go with you to Paris and study art, maybe, and wear velveteen pants and a woman's bonnet and eat spaghetti? No. I think we can save you that trouble. You don't understand I'm going. I really am and alone. I've got to find out what my work is. Work? Work, sure. That's the trouble with you, Carrie. If you had five kids and no hired girl and had to help with the chores like these farmers' wives, then you wouldn't be so discontented. I know. That's what most men and women like you would say. These businessmen, tired from their crushing labors of sitting in an office seven hours a day, would calmly recommend I have a dozen children. No one loves their child more than I do, but solitary dishwashing and children isn't enough to satisfy me or many other women. We're going to chuck it. We're going to come out and play with you men in the offices, in the clubs, in the politics you cleverly kept for yourselves. Uh, of course, a little thing like our son makes no difference. It makes all the difference. That's why I'm going to take him with me. Suppose I refuse. You won't. Oh, Carrie, what the devil is it you want anyway? Oh, conversation? No. It's much more than that. 
I think it's a greatness of life. A refusal to be content with even the healthiest mud. But don't you know that nobody ever solved a problem by running away from it? Perhaps, and even if I am cowardly and run away, all right. Call me anything you want to. I've been ruled too long by the fear of being called things. I have a right to my own life. So have I to mine. Well? I have a right to my life, and you're in it. You're my life. You've made yourself so. I'm darned if I'll agree to all your freak notions, but I will say that I've got to depend on you. You never thought of that, did you? You have a right to me if you can keep me. Can you? Kennicott never consented, definitely. At most, he agreed to a public theory that... The cherry's going to take a short trip and see what the East is like in wartime. She went to Washington in October and found employment in the Bureau of War Risk Insurance. The chart which plots Carol's progress is not easy to read. The thing she gained in Washington was not information about office systems and labor unions, but renewed courage. That amiable contempt called poise. Gannicott came to see her for the first time 13 months later. You're looking well? You're looking fine, too, Will. How's the baby? He's... Oh, he's fine. Big, too. I'll bet. Uh, say, uh, Carrie, now, I don't want to butt in on any plans you've made or anything, but if... If you've got the time for it, I'd like to chase around Washington and take in some restaurants and shows and stuff and forget work for a while. Yes, of course. I, uh, dreadfully sorry. We haven't room to put you up at the flat, but I have two roommates. Don't you think we'd better go to the Willard or the Washington and get you a room? Yes. Yes, I guess we'd better do that. <laughs> Say, that was a fine dinner. I'm glad you brought me to this place. You call it a shore dinner, huh? Mm-hmm. Sure has been keen these days, Carrie. Seeing all the sights of Washington. You know, I wish I'd had a shot at places like this. Maybe if I'd been caught early and sent to concerts and all that, would I have been what you call intelligent? Oh, my dear, don't be humble. You are intelligent. For instance, you're the most thorough doctor that... You uh, did like those pictures I showed you of G.P. pretty well, didn't you? Yes, of course. Wouldn't be so bad to have a glimpse of the old town, though, would it? No, it, it wouldn't. But please understand me. That doesn't mean I withdraw all my criticism. Oh, no, no, no. Sure not. I understand. But I know it must have been pretty tiresome to have to live with anybody as perfect as I was. <laughs> 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 that Washington Monument is something, all right. Should we sit here and enjoy it a while? Yes, let's. Uh, you know, uh, before you showed me those places today, I'd 
already made up my mind that when I build a new house, I'd fix it the way you wanted it. I, I mean, if you ever want to. That's sweet of you. Uh, look, Carrie, you think I'm going to ask you to love me. I'm not. And I'm not going to ask you to come back to a Gopher Prairie. Well. It's been a whale of a fight. But I guess you won't ever stand GP unless you want to come back. I don't have to tell you I'm crazy to have you, but I won't ask you. I just want you to know how I wait for you. Every mail, I, I look for a letter. And then when I get one, I'm kind of scared to open it. I'm hoping so much that you are coming back. And even... Well, say, do you know that I didn't open the cottage down at the lake at all this summer? I used to sit on the porch in town, and I I couldn't get over the feeling that you'd simply run up to the drugstore and be right back. I like you better than anybody in the world. You're all the things that I see in the sunset and the, the things that I, I like, but I, I can't make poetry of it. I, I just want you to know how welcome you'll be if you ever do come back. I can't think. I don't know what to think. Then listen. Don't think. Here's what I want you to do. Get a two-weeks leave from your office. Let's run down to Charleston and Savannah and maybe Florida. A second honeymoon? No, no, no. Don't call it that, Carrie. Call it a second wooing. I guess I never appreciated how lucky I was to have a girl so full of life and imagination to play with. Could you maybe run down and see the South with me? I'll get a nurse for you. I'll get the best doggone nurse in Washington. Did you want to dance again? <laughs> Not so soon, Dr. Kennedy. I think I'm getting old. <laughs> oh, shall I go back to go for prairie with you? Decide for me. I'm tired of deciding and undeciding. No, you've got to do your own deciding. As a matter of fact, in spite of this honeymoon, I don't think I want you to come home. Not yet. What? I want you to be satisfied when you get there. Oh, I'll do everything I can to keep you happy, but I'll make lots of breaks. So I want you to take time and think it over. She still had a chance to seize indefinite freedom, but she also had a firmer respect for her husband. It had not occurred to her before that there was also a story of Will Kennicott, into which she entered only so much as he entered hers. Kennicott went back to Gopher Prairie. Carol talked at dinner to a generalissima of suffrage. Should I go back? Should I... I keep asking myself over and over. What do you think, Miss Kilby? My dear, I'm perfectly selfish. I can't quite visualize the needs of your husband. And it seems to me that your baby will do quite as well in the schools here as in your barracks at home. Do you think I'd better not go back? Oh, it's more difficult than that. Oh. Carol, did you come to conquer the East, as people say, or did you come to conquer yourself? I'm not. Sure, really. I'm afraid I'm... I'm not heroic. I, I certainly wasn't out home. 
Why, I didn't do big, effective It's not a matter of heroism. It's a matter of endurance. Your Middle West is double Puritan. There is one attack you can make on it. You can keep on looking at one thing after another and asking why it is and who first laid down the law that it had to be that way. If enough of us do this, impolitely enough, then we'll become civilized in merely 20,000 years instead of the 200,000 that my cynical anthropologist friends allow. I will go back. I will go on asking questions. I'm going to ask Ezra Stobody why he's opposed to the nationalization of railroads. And I'll ask Dave Dyer why a druggist is always pleased when he's called doctor. <laughs> Maybe I'll even ask Mrs. Bogart... Why she wears a widow's veil that looks like a dead crow. On the train, going back, she looked across the silent fields to the west. She was conscious of an unbroken sweep of land to the Rockies to Alaska, a dominion which will rise to unexampled greatness. But before that time, she knew a hundred generations of carols will aspire and go down in tragedy devoid, the humdrum, inevitable tragedy of struggle against inertia. In August, a baby girl was born to Carol. She started wearing eyeglasses. She looked all of 33. I could find that collar. Who is? I've been thinking of getting up an annual community day. And the whole town could have sports and a picnic and dance. But Bert Tibby, why did you ever elect him mayor? He's taken my plan completely away from me, and he intends to have a lot of dry political speeches. <laughs> yes, it would jar you to have Bert butting in. That darn collar certainly is gone for keeps. But I have one in this. I've never excused my failures by sneering at my aspirations, by pretending to have gone beyond them. I don't admit that Main Street is as beautiful as it should be. I don't admit that Gopher Prairie is greater or more generous than Europe. I don't admit that dishwashing is enough to satisfy all women. I may not have fought the good fight, but I've kept the faith. Sure, you bet. Well, I guess it's time to turn in. It feels to me like it might snow tomorrow. i got to be thinking about putting up the storm windows pretty soon. Say, did you notice whether the girl put that screwdriver back? NBC University Theater falls on our presentation of Main Street with Vanessa Brown as Carol Kennicott and Leon Ames as Dr. Will Kennicott.
You're tuned to FM 105.7 CHRE. It's 12 o'clock at CHRE. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.